0: So, go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So, it's the oldest story that we have. I mean, period. It's the story of Job. It's a story of human suffering and, and the kinds of questions and anxieties and worries and hurts and hopes that emerge in the midst of suffering. So the book of Job, we've been studying now. This is the fourth week in our study. Because what better time than now to to examine what it looks like, to navigate faith whenever you go through loss and everything that's in you wants to lament, to cry out for a love that will meet you in the midst of your loss. So the book of Job, as we've been covering it, we've covered a wide swath of territory already, haven't we? So the first two chapters, well, it's, it's a prologue. It's a narrative storytelling form. It tells the story about a good man who lost everything. By God's own description, he was a blameless, blameless man who was upright, feared God, respected God, right? Turned away from evil continually and yet despite the way that he had ordered his life everything had fallen into disorder and chaos and he lost everything that mattered. But then from chapters 3 to chapter 31 like 29 solid chapters in which Job is ranting and and lamenting and shaking his fist at at the heavens and asking that God would show up and defend God's, God's position in the universe, to defend why it is that Job has experienced such heartache when he seemingly didn't deserve anything. And in the midst of those 29 chapters, his three friends show up, right? They come up trying to, to comfort him at first, but then they end up slipping into this kind of awkward defensive position Theologically trying to defend God and the way things are. And now there are like three cycles of argument, debate between Job and his friends. Where Job says, God is going to have to answer to this because he's got some explaining to do. And the friends defend God. And it goes back and forth, 29 solid chapters in which Job asks question after question of God. And you may remember that last week we ended the week it's this provocative image of Job standing at the door of heaven. And we imagine like a subpoena in his hand and he's beating on the door of heaven. And he says, here is my signature. I'll wear my indictment on my shoulder if you show up and face me like a man. And, and then from chapter 32 to chapter 37, another friend shows up. His name is Elihu. Elihu comes up, and he's, he's ticked off at everybody. He, he's like, to the friends of Job, he's like, you've not done what's right. You failed miserably at defending God. And he turns to Job, and he says, you have not done what's right. You've just defended yourself, and, and God doesn't like the self-righteous. And, and he, in many ways, is, is really no better than the three friends. But this whole time, I mean, for 37 solid chapters, there is someone who is not speaking at all. And it's God. I mean, 37 solid chapters of, of people talking about God and and yet no dialogue with God. Do you know that there is a difference between talking about God and talking to God? <laughs> The difference, the difference will transform a person's entire existence to stop talking about God and to start talking to God. So in chapter 38, God shows up and we find out that when God shows up, he has a few questions of his own. But we read the very first verse of chapter 38, and here's how it sounds. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Now we're going to stop right there for just a minute because honestly, if we wanted to, I could... I could preach an entire sermon just on that one verse. We could do an entire series of sermons just on the one verse about God answering from the whirlwind. And and you know why? Because God always answers from the whirlwind. The whirlwind. Yeah. See, in Scripture, every major encounter with God is usually accompanied with some kind of natural phenomenon or some kind of meteorological uh, mystery, right? In the Bible, there's a, there's a word not in the Bible, but theologically that we, des- that we use to describe these encounters. We call it a theophany, right? So a theophany, there are m- multiple theophanies in the Bible, but a theophany is a visible kind of manifestation of the divine. When God shows up. But many times in the Bible, often God shows up along with a natural phenomenon. Usually God shows up and there is some kind of fire or smoke or earthquake or wind, right? Lightning and and thunder. The Israelites are liberated from Egyptian captivity and they wander through the desert and and as they are in the wandering wilderness, they are led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Yeah. Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai, you'll remember, and he goes to receive the covenant, the law of the Lord, and the people at the base of the mountain see him at the top, and there is this cloud, a storm, that descends with rain and wind and lightning and thunder. It's the presence of, Of God, or when the tabernacle is completed in the book of Leviticus, Mm -hmm. where God stands at the entrance of the tabernacle and says, Va'ikra, come near. And there is this wind that brings a, a cloud of smoke that symbolizes the presence of God, and it descends upon the tabernacle when Jesus was baptized. A voice thundered from above, this is my son, the beloved, right? Or when the disciples were on the boat in the sea and there was the storm that came and the rain fell and the winds blew and and they, they feared being capsized, they looked and they saw Jesus walking and thought it was a ghost because they thought it was going to pass him on by. In Theophanies, the language of passing by is common. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. Or Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's there with Elijah and Moses and a cloud of smoke with wind descends upon the mountain. And let's not forget the greatest theophany of the ages when the lifeless body of our Lord was raised to live again. The earth, we're told by the gospel writers, quaked beneath their feet. Theophany. And I believe that the ancient biblical writers used these kinds of descriptions because they knew that any real encounter that mattered with a real God is one that is like the force of nature. Because forces of nature you can't control, you can't tame. God always speaks out of a whirlwind. You see, it's only when the rains fall and, and, and the floods rise and the whirlwinds beat and blow against your house that you're able to, to discover what kind of foundation you've made with your house. Because when the whirlwind comes, there is a, a blowing away of ego, right? There is a battering A beating down of pride and when when the whirlwind comes when you are experiencing the whirlwind of life that's the season in which you become vulnerable and humbled and broken and there's a sense in which you are now receptive and hungry enough to want to hear a word from God and and when you are desperate enough to want to hear God speak it's then that you hear See, it's in the whirlwind always. Do, do, you, do you know what that feels like, to feel that wind blowing? Because it feels like for the last I don't know, six months or more now, there's been a kind of global whirlwind. And it's not just on a global scale or a national scale, but this pandemic has brought a variety of twisters all around us, whirlwinds in which many, many of us, people we love, have experienced loss, desperation, a loss of, well, income, a loss of predictability, a loss of schedule, a loss of, of control. You know, I, I'll never forget a trip we took uh, back during Cur- Hurricane Katrina, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. The the church where I was serving as pastor, we we went down to serve as a, a mud-out team, cleaning up, rebuilding some things, and... And we went to this neighborhood and it broke our hearts because there's this entire neighborhood with with no houses. But we knew it was a neighborhood because all we saw were the slabs. The concrete slabs. The winds were so strong that not a splinter of wood remained. And when the whirlwind beats you down to the very foundation, and maybe that's where you've been, I, I just need you to know that As awkward as it is to hear, you are in the the perfect posture to hear a word from God. Yeah. Yeah. So we're told that God speaks out of the whirlwind because God always speaks out of the whirlwind. Now I told you before that the book of Job is a book of questions, right? 330 questions get asked. More questions in the book of Job than any other book in the Bible. But most of those questions for the the larger part of 37 chapters are being asked by Job. And they're questions being railed against heaven. Questions in which he, with subpoena in hand, is demanding that God show up and face him like a man. I've got some questions for you. You've got some explaining to do. And as he rails against God with all of these questions, God does show up in the whirlwind. But God, as it turns out, has a few questions for Job. So we begin in chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel without words of knowledge. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. I mean, surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in, in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it, and set its doors and bars in place when i said to the ocean this far you may come and no farther here is where your proud waves halt job have you have you ever given orders to the morning or, or, or shown the dawn its place that that it may take the earth by the edges and shake out the wicked from it the earth takes shape Like clay under a seal, its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are defined, and the wicked, they're denied their light. Their upraised arm is broken. Job, do you know these things? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you even seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you Comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Job, tell me, if you know all this, what is the way to the abode of light and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? I mean, seriously, Job, surely you know, for, for you were already born, right? I mean, you, you've lived so long, so many years. Have you entered the storehouse's Of the snow, have you even seen where the storehouses of hail abide, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is what is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, or or the place where where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Job, who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain, or makes a path? For the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout forth grass. Does the rain have a father? I mean, who fathers the drops of dew, Job? From whose womb come the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens, when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen, can you, Job, bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Tell me. Can you bring forth the constellations in all their seasons or lead out the the bear with, with, with its cubs? Can, Do you know the laws of heaven? That's what I'm asking, Job. Can you set up God's dominion over all the earth? Can you you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning boats on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? (laughs) Job, who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind. Who has the wisdom to count the clouds, Job? Who can tip over the water jars of heaven when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness? And, And do you satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in the thicket? Do you know where the food is for the raven? Or how to feed its young when they cry out to God and wander about because of their lack of food? Do you? Do you, Job, know when when the mountain goat gives birth? Do you know where can be found the bear? Do you know the time when the bear gives birth? They they crouch down, right? And they bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and they do not return. who, Who let the wild donkey go free, Job? Who untied his ropes? I gave him the wasteland as his home, the salt flats as his habitat. He laughs at the commotion in town. He does not hear a driver's shout. He ranges for the hills. He, he finds his pasture. He, he searches for any green thing to eat. Have you noticed this, Job? Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will he stay by your manger at night? Can you hold him to the furrow? With a harness, will he till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on him for his great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to him? Can you trust him to haul in your grain and bring it to the threshing floor? Who does that, Job? Does he do it on his own? The wings of the ostrich, they flap joyfully, though they cannot compare. With the wings and feathers of the stork, she lays her, do you know this, Job? That she lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animals may trample on them. She treats her young harshly as if they weren't even her own, as if she has forgotten her own labor. She wasn't endowed with much wisdom or given her share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, Job, she laughs at the horse and rider. Do you give the horse its strength? Do you, Job, clothe his neck with a flowing mane? Do you make him leap like a locust, striking terror with his proud snorting? He paws fiercely, rejoicing in his strength. He charges into the fray, Job. He laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. Have you noticed this? He does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against his side, as does the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, he eats up the ground. He cannot stand still when he hears the trumpet blast. When he hears the trumpet blast from afar, he he snorts, aha! He smells the battle scent from afar. He hears the shout of commanders and the battle cry. How about the hawk, Job? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? As he spreads his wings to the south, does the eagle soar by your command? As he builds his nest on high, he dwells on high, on a cliff and stays there overnight. The rocky crag is his stronghold. Did you know that? From there he seeks out his food. His eyes can detect it from far away. His young ones feast on blood and where the slain are, there he is. Then God said to Job, Will the one who contends with me, with the Almighty, correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How how can I reply? to you. I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but but I have no answer. Twice. But I will say no more." What an amazing, poetic, beautiful expression speech, a monologue from God about the way things are. It's as if he comes after 37 chapters of being questioned by Job. He comes forth, he shows up in court and cross-examines Job. It's as if he comes to Job and takes him by the hand and says, Job, What is it that you ask of me? And Job has for 37 chapters said, I want some answers. You want some answers. I want some answers. You want answers. I want the truth. And it's as if God said, you can't handle the truth. And he takes him by the hand and takes him on this whirlwind tour of the universe. And he brings Job to one corner of the universe and says, Job, have you seen where the foundations of the earth have been laid? No, no. Oh, it's surprising, because surely I thought, I thought you had. Did you, did you know where the storehouses of snow and hail were so that when seasons of drought come, they can be dispensed? You didn't know that? Hmm, shocking. Do you know how, Job, to, well to loosen the belt of Orion, do you know how to hang the luminaries, the sun, the moon, the stars, and one after the next? He takes Job on this whirlwind tour of the cosmos, and Job is overwhelmed. He, he, he closes his mouth. He literally puts his hand over his lips. I have nothing to say. I, I cannot, I cannot. Have you ever been so confronted by the mystery and the expanse, the enormity of God's divinely ordered universe? Have you ever been so Overwhelmed that you've got nothing to say. Job closes his mouth because he looks around and he recognizes at every corner, in every direction, God demonstrates that God's presence and God's action, God's attention, and God's energy is constantly in every space of the known universe. And Job is overwhelmed by that awareness. And yet, he gets no answers to his question. I'm amazed by his response because you know he doesn't cross back and say, but God, you didn't answer my question. He's so overwhelmed by something so much better than answers that his first response is, I am, I am unworthy. In fact, that's how the NIV says it, right? The NIV translates that, that first response of Job is, I am unworthy. Unworthy, And that's an adequate translation, that's fine, because in many ways, when you see that the world is so much bigger than you, when you see that there are issues and needs and energies constantly moving all around you that have nothing to do with you, there is a sense in which you can feel unworthy. But that's what the NIV translates as his first response. You know what the NRSV, so the New Revised Standard Version, it translates it this way, I am of small." account but i think i think i love what the hebrew describes better in hebrew it is simply i am small i am small there are <laughs> some seasons whirlwind seasons when you realize i i i am I'm blown about and, 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 and I've lost everything. I'm down to my foundation, but you look around and you realize I'm not the only one. That all the world is in constant need and is being constantly attended by a God who is present in all of it. And God shows him these things, not because God is stressed out and he's like, hey, Job, you know, I'm really kind of busy here. Not because of that, but because God wants Job to see that Job is a part of something that is a river, a fountain of flowing love that is constantly moving out of God in every direction to the extent that the ordered universe, the land, the sea, the sky, the animals, the fish, the birds, and even you, Job, have my attention. See, Job did not, did not, did not He had answers to his question. But he got something better perspective. Perspective. See, it's it's almost as if Job had this experience, the whirlwind experience of having lost all that matters, all that was important. And it's as if he put a frame around that experience. That's what we do, isn't it? I mean, when you and I go through a thing, when we, when we sell the house, when we move to a new place, when the kids start school, when the kids quit school, when the kids move away, when we go through the relational season that we went through and we wondered if we could ever make it to the other side of it, when we lose our job, when we get a diagnosis that scares us to death, when someone betrays us, we put a frame around that experience, and it's natural. That's what we do because for a period of time, that's all we can think about. That's all that we can feel. So we put a frame around it. The problem with putting a small frame about around one season of your life is simply this. That one season then fills up every square inch of that small frame. So when God takes Job by the hand on a whirlwind tour of the cosmos to show him how great And how all inclusive and how expansive it really is, it's as if God was taking a bigger frame and placing a bigger frame around Job's life. Because sometimes it it requires recognizing that our existence is not simply the thing we're going through. I mean, it's painful. Don't get me wrong, it leaves a mark, a scar that you talk about for ages. But but the frame that you've put around your current hurt or wound is a part of the bigger frame of your entire existence, which exists with all of the cosmos in union with one another and with the God who made you. When God shows him how vast the universe is, it's as if he is saying to Job, You are part of something that I love so deeply that there is not one thing that happens for which I am unaware. I see the pain, Job, and I see you, and I am here in the whirlwind with you. I mean, is is this why, why Jesus... In the Sermon on the Mount, is this why Jesus said, look, why do you worry? Why do you worry about your life? I mean, think about the birds of the air. They don't go out and gather and store up into barns like like we do, yet your heavenly Father feeds them every every day. Or consider the lilies of the field, Jesus said. They neither toil nor nor sow nor, nor, nor spin, and yet I'll tell you the truth, Jesus said. Even Solomon, the great king, in all of his radiance was not arrayed like one of these flowers. And yet your father, if your father is so attentive as to feed the birds of the air and clothe the grass of the field, will he not care for you? Yeah, Job got something better than answers. Job got an awareness that he is in the presence of God. And so are we. So are we. Do you feel a little bit like Job? I am I'm of small account. I'm unworthy. I'm small. When you get a bigger perspective of the big thing going on all the time around you, do you sometimes think, you know what, like Job, I'm small, I'm gonna shut my mouth and put my hand over my mouth, I'm gonna stop talking about it, I'm done. Sorry, never mind, just kidding. Because next week, you're going to see something that God does with Job. Because right there at the end of that passage, Job tries to shut it down. He tries to pull the shade down. He's like, yeah, sorry, not going to talk anymore. But what we did not read, but we'll read next week, is God says, up, 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 up. no, 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 sir, no, sir. Uh, You will gird up your loins like a man, and I will speak, and you will listen, and there is more to say. And I just wonder if today, maybe you're at a place a place where where you've, you've you've been spinning in the whirlwind for so long that you wonder if you're the only one in it. Well, guess what? You're not. Not only do you have the company of others who have been blown about by the winds these last six months or six years or six decades, but you're also in the company of the one who speaks most clearly from the whirlwind. Yeah. So maybe if you want to pray and open your life up to that, God, maybe it, it could sound something this honest. And right where you are, I want you to pray with me. God, I have been blown about, and, and my, the, the storm, the wind, the rain has, has reduced me, Lord, to where I think I'm down to my foundation. And, and I don't know which way to turn. All I know is that my ego is gone, <laughs> My pride has been swept away, blown away by the wind, and I am so desperate for a word from you that I am here and I am listening. And if it's true that you are the one who speaks in the whirlwind, then speak. Speak to me because I'm listening. Our Lord Jesus, at every turn, demonstrated and proclaimed that any who have a desire to welcome him into their lives, he will come. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door shall be open. Lord, I am asking and seeking and knocking that you would come into my life and bring steadiness where there is instability, Bring peace where there is nothing but a storm, and I will be yours. I confess all the sins that I know to confess. I humble myself. I yield my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you pray that prayer? If you did, you need to understand that it counts, that it matters that you have opened up your life to the one who gave you life. And you need to tell somebody about that. Tell somebody near you that that you're praying about being open to God's love, God's spirit, God's power in your life. And, And I'd like to know as well. Go ahead and email me and let me know how you're praying for yourself these days, and I'll join you in that prayer. In the meantime, it is my prayer that wherever you go from where you're sitting, Christ would go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and you feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in and the whirlwinds blow to remind you there is one above the clouds who speaks from the whirlwind who has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you, removing all forms of fear, but may Christ mostly go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his.